especially parents do, and the the kids are all there, and the one kid gives the kid the gift, and the, the gift giver is sitting there anxiously awaiting this response that they believe the person who they gave the gift to should have. Because they took time, they picked this gift out for this person for a specific purpose and took care in doing so. So the child gets the gift, just tears open the packaging, says, Oh, cool! Next! (laughs) And that's how it goes. That quick. That the appreciation for what is going on or what's been given is gone. So where does this come from? Does this naturally come from the kids? Or is this something bigger than that? I would say it's bigger than that. Now, if we look at the uh, personal debt statistics in Canada, I believe there is an answer to that question in there. And... If we look, uh, this is a CBC article that was put out, but credit market debt, which includes consumer debt and mortgage debt and non-mortgage loans, totaled nearly, just in Canada, $2.21 trillion in the fourth quarter last year. Mortgage debt was $1.44 trillion of that, while consumer credit and non-mortgage loans were a staggering $769 billion, which in turn means that every household roughly spends $1.79 in credit market debt for every $1 of household supposed disposable income. So we are spending far more than we have. So is that the child's problem? No, they don't have money to spend. But they're learning. So this is becoming an adult problem. Very quickly. So the short-term worldly thankfulness, it's in the children, it's in the adults. And it's not uncommon for, for parents to overspend on their children. To just give them everything that they need or they think they need. Buying them expensive items like games, systems, iPads, phones, brand name, everything. And then once something new comes along, they get that too. And everything is just shifted aside and just on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. Parents do that too. I work with a lot of people, meet a lot of people, and that is a very true statement of the adult population too. We get something, it's good for a short term. Oh, time to trade up. There's a new model out there, it's got something a little different. Trade up, trade up, trade up, trade up. Keep never-ending cycle. And we just add into the mix houses and cars and ATVs, boats and toys into that problem. So there is a popular march of everyone marching off the cliff of financial collapse, trying to keep up with the Joneses. But were we ever meant to keep up with the Joneses? Absolutely not. So for reasons other than just financial wisdom, I would strongly urge and caution that this is not a biblical model. 
It is straight up against what the Bible teaches, what our lives should be like. We are supposed to keep pace with Christ, not the Joneses. From a biblical standpoint, what does it mean to be thankful? And what does this all have to do with my initial question of what does it mean to be thankful? Well, how do we expect the attitudes of the people to be truly thankful when on average everyone has way too much stuff? And like I said, when we have stuff, it's not good. When the iPhone 11's out, the 10's outdated, we've got to get the 11 now. That's the attitude, unfortunately. So we have this problem of the world's instant gratification, overspending, and thankfulness is a countercultural in many ways. So as Christians, we should have the attribute within us because of the Holy Spirit working in us to have thankfulness as a part of who we are. That is a big challenge. So I ask the question, do you believe that you would stand up to the biblical definition of thankfulness right now? That is a personal question we all have to ask ourselves. The Bible has a, an, an outline, a standard, or an um, indicator as to what that would look like. And I would uh, ask you to turn to Leviticus 7. If you have it, or if not, you can listen along. Okay, so in Leviticus, this is obviously talking about the sacrifices and the uh, and the instructions being given to the uh, Israelites. So in seven eleven to thirteen, these are the regulations for the fellowship offering anyone may present to the Lord. If they offer it as an expression of thankfulness. Then, along with this thank offering, they are to offer thick loaves made without yeast with olive oil mixed in, thin loaves made without yeast and brushed with oil, and thick loaves of the finest flour well kneaded with oil mixed in. Along with their fellowship offering of thanksgiving, they are to present an offering with thick loaves of bread made with yeast. Now we'll skip ahead to Leviticus 22:29. When you sacrifice a thank offering to the Lord, sacrifice it in such a way that it will be accepted on your behalf. So what does that mean? Well, that speaks of the heart. That is the physical offering without the heart of genuine thankfulness is just a physical thing you did. It's a complete package. The heart is what makes the gift acceptable to God. Now, in Psalms 95 too, now there was an abundance of verses that I could have pulled out, but I'm just pulling out the two. So, but Psalms 95 too gives a description of thankfulness. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. So these verses and the others make it clear that thankfulness leads to action and to praise. Thankfulness leads the people of God praising in music and in song and in attitude of their lives 
as well as an action of giving to God, sacrificing. Now, things are different these days. However, if you, I've done something you were thankful for and you want to give me uh, some loaves of Leviticus bread, uh, my address is 1234th Avenue and I'd gladly accept it. But all joking aside, the, the things may be different now in how we do it, but the hard attitude towards God and towards the thankfulness remains the same. However, I still like bread. But So now, the, the other key of the Christian biblical idea of thankfulness is that we are not only dealing with the person in front of us. We are dealing with God who is the reason to be thankful. Everything we have comes from God. Sometimes He uses people to bless others or situations, but it all goes back to God. And God deserves all the thanks. So, every single day, we are to continually bless the Lord and thank Him with our praise and our genuine hearts of thanksgiving. Now, Second Corinthians nine ten to 12 puts it this way. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You are to be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will, will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So to summarize, we are blessed. We must bless others so that God receives continual thanks and praise. And that is the cycle we want to be in. We need to personally practice this. And we all need to just consider where we are on this currently. And that, like I said, is an individual thing. So thankfulness is not dependent on good circumstances. Just consider David, Paul, Job. Well, basically every major player in the Bible. They all shown a good example of praising and thankfulness when things were awful. But let's look at Acts 16. We're going to be in 17 through 24. So to set this up, Paul and Silas were going about and they were being followed by a female slave who had a spirit that allowed her to be a fortune teller. Her abilities were being used by her master to make financial gains for himself. So we'll pick it up in uh, verse 17. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling 
you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Paul finally, or sorry, finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. When the owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these are these men are Jews and are throwing our city in an uproar by advocating uncustom laws, or sorry, advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in and attacked Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped down and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So despite all of the circumstances, getting severely flogged, beaten with rods, they were thankful to God and singing praises and praying to Him in jail, shackled to probably the floor. So what about Job? This guy went through a lot. One day the angel, or sorry, I'll, if you want to follow along, uh, Job 1, 1 to 21. We'll pick it up in verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, From roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Is there no one on earth like him? He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear nothing or for God for nothing? Satan replied, Have you not put hedge around him and his household and everything he has? Have you blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are, are, spare, are spread throughout the land? But now you stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has is in your power, but the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby when the Sabians attacked them and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who, is, who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, Another messenger came and said, The Chileans uh, formed three raids, raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed. On them, and they are all dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up 
This is where it gets really interesting. Tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell on the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So I'll say it again. Thankfulness has nothing to do with our circumstances. Proper understanding of who we are in Christ is what brings us to genuine thankfulness. How can these men be anything but angry, depressed about their current circumstances that they are in? These are terrible things that have happened to them, yet they are still thankful, they're still praising God, and despite it all. So I ask, how and why? I would argue that they understood that thankfulness is way more about the eternal, not the temporal. Things seen. Sorry, not things seen, but the things unseen. So, 2 Corinthians 4 sums this up beautifully. I'll pick it up at verse 4. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even in the, our, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not of ourselves. It is but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is, or sorry, all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be also revealed in our body. For we are alive and are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe that believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. All of this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For the light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. 
since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So when we are short-sighted, very hard to be thankful. I think that's the big problem. We need to be far-sighted people. We need to see the big picture. We need to see that when things are difficult, that God is bigger, that God has saved us, and that we have heaven to go to, and that we have been saved. And there's a lot of people who are going through a lot of crazy, difficult things, and I do not discount the struggle of it. I am failing big time at this hard attitude for sure. And I don't have some circumstances that others are going through. And But all that means is that by doing this preparations, I've been convicted. I'm hopeful that we've all can be convicted where necessary and that when I struggle when the kids are going bananas and life is going insane and nobody listens and I have to tell them the same things every day all day and they stare at me like I'm an alien and that they've never heard this before and then my blood's boiling my head's going to blow off and everything is falling apart yeah and that's every day um, that having kids is still wonderful. <laughs> it's a huge blessing and I'm thankful for it. And if they were ever gone or if I never got married and never had them, my life would not be blessed the way it is. We all have our own little circumstances where that is true whether we have kids or not, or whatever we have in life, we have been blessed. And it is a decision. It is a mindset issue. We have to decide to be thankful. See, what I don't like at all about the Webster's Dictionary definition of thankfulness is that word feeling. I think it should be an attitude, a decision of thankfulness. Because a feeling is fleeting. That's the kid at the party who says, oh, cool man, and throws it in the pile and looks for the next. That, as Christians, I think our definition should be totally different of what is truly thankfulness all about. We have, we are so blessed as Christians. We have been created. Our Creator loves us, protects us, gives us breath on a daily basis, saved us from our separation from Him through Jesus Christ, His Son, by taking away our sins. And that is enough on its own. In other places of the world, they get that more than we do. Because we have too much. 
However, even though we have all that, we are so blessed to be living in Canada right now. We have a crazy amount of blessings that just come just from living in a certain country. Not to say that there are not other good countries or different things out there, but speaking from what I know, we are blessed here. So again, if to reinforce the point that it's a decision, Job lost all of his livestock, all of his family, camels, sheep, oxen, you name it. And he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. So now what? With all this knowledge, what do we need to do? We need to praise and give back. And this needs to be a continual cycle. So praise and give back. Praise and give back. Not buy, take, covet, buy more. Take more, give a little back, go in debt. It's all about our hearts. It's all about our decision to be different, to live different, to think different, and to understand our true state. Now, I've expressed what that our main source of gratitude comes from our position in Christ. So, if we're truly thankful about that, God says, Two things. What you have that you need to bless others with it so that God may receive the praise and the glory. It said that in Second Corinthians. What we also need to do is say we are thankful that Christ has saved us. That we understand that God has created us and that He has come and saved us. So what would true thankfulness in that area look like? Does it look like just going about our daily lives and not living different? Or does it look like that we are so thankful that we have no choice in our hearts but to express our thankfulness of what the Lord has done in our hearts to others that don't know and share and grow the kingdom. Because if we're truly thankful, and we truly understand it, we would not sit back and not share it because we're afraid to offend somebody, don't want to ruin a friendship, don't want to just make people upset. It's way bigger than that. Uh, Trust me, make people upset because they'll be a lot more upset when they die and they find out they missed the boat. And that they got a one-way ticket to somewhere nobody wants to go. So, if we're thankful, we need to share. You will be enriched in every way. And so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through your generosity will result in thanksgiving not to yourselves, to God.
this service that you perform is not only showing the needs, uh, supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but also the overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. So may God <coughs> receive all the credit and the glory for everything that we do. May we take none of the credit, but all be for God. Happy Thanksgiving. Dear Lord, blessed be your name. May our hearts be filled with praise continually as we appreciate who you are and as we spoke about today, as we understand the amazing blessings that you have given us just in life alone and in your Son alone. Lord, may we reflect on that minute by minute, day by day, and be a people who praise you continually, a people that other people would see, and see a genuineness and a thankfulness and difference in that, Lord, I just pray that others in this community would want to know you. Lord, give us the strength and the boldness to share your goodness with everyone. Amen.